to Pulp Today. We do another episode on uh, You Can't Win, which if you didn't see the first episode, go back, watch that. You'll get the introduction to it. Mm. Short version is, as I chomp on the ice from my white Russian, short version is it's an autobiographical memoir by a turn-of-the-century thief named Jack Black, not the other Jack Black. Was a big influence on William Burroughs. Actually, borrowed the character I'm going to talk about in a couple of his later novels. Now, when I posted the first one, it was the day after Mother's Day, and I talked about how uh, Jack Black lays all of his misfortune without calling it an alibi, without calling it an excuse, on his mother dying before she was a significant influence on him. Interestingly, this next passage, which I've, which I wanted to read to you, uh, it's also about a maternal figure, probably the closest thing to a mother that uh, our main character encounters at any point in the book. Uh, she's a she's a she's a colorful one, and uh, give you a little background. At this point in the story, he has already become a criminal. He's just pulled off a very simple uh, jewelry store heist. I mean, when I say simple, I mean he throws rocks at the back door of the jewelry store when the jeweler comes out. His buddy grabs the watches from the front window. It's very simple. And then they've got to go fence it. Um, by the way, the word jungle, when you hear it here, um, a group of hobos gathered together uh, in a spot is called the hobo jungle. That's what, that's a refer that's what that references. So uh, the character speaking here first is Smiler, who is his uh, accomplice, is a... Uh, older, wiser thief that he's hanging around with in this part of the story. And he says, He may not miss that junk till he goes to close up, kid, or he may have missed it already. Anyway, we'll sure be stuck up and frisked in Evanston. All we have to do is tell the truth, say we rode this rattler out of Cheyenne and never left the yards at Rock Springs. And they won't hold us. They can't figure that we could touch that joint and go out on the same train. We'll stop at Evanston anyway and wait for our coal car. Then, instead of going on to Salt Lake, we'll ride the freight over to the cutoff at Pocatello, and I'll get the coin on that junk in an hour from Mary. Who's Mary? I asked. Wait till you see her tomorrow. She'll buy anything from a barrel of whiskey to a baby carriage. It was a warm night, and riding the front end of the baggage was pleasant enough. If the bulls grab us off, kid, you say nothing. I'll talk and tell them who we are and where we're going. You listen, that's all. Say, he said suddenly, take off that coat and let me look at it. He went over it closely by the light from the engine. It was tailor-made, and he found the owner's name on a piece of white cloth sewed in the inside pocket. He ripped it out, and I put the coat back on. Never be too careful, kid. We ought to have looked at that before. If Jeff Carr had picked us up at Cheyenne, you might now have been charged with that lousy burglary by now. How could a boy help admiring such wisdom? I was flattered to be taken up by someone so experienced, so confident and active about his work, and withal so carefree, happy, and smiling. We were not molested at Evanston, where we got off and waited for our freight train. It came along next day, and that night we dropped off it at Pocatello, Idaho. Pocatello, at that time, was just a small railroad town, a famous stopping-off place for the bums bound east, west, north, and south. There was a grand jungle by the small, clean river where they boiled up their vermined clothes, or rags, as they are always called, cooked their mulligans, or, if enough bums got together, held a convention. These conventions, like many others, were merely an excuse for a big drunk. Sometimes they would end in a killing. 
or some drunken bum would fall in the fire and get burned to death, after which they would silently steal away. Oftener, the convention lasted until there was no more money for alcohol, the bum's favorite drink. The bums then began pestering the natives by begging and stealing till the whole town got sore. The town marshal would then appear with a posse armed with saps, which is sort for saplings, young trees. He stood guard with a shotgun while the posse fell upon the convention and sapped up on those therein assembled and ran them down the railroad track and out of town. We found our junk without trouble and hastened to Mary's. If I knew more of composition and writing and talking, I might do justice to Mary, the fence, and friend of bums and thieves. It's an injustice to the memory of Mary, or as she was lovingly called by the bums, Salt Chunk Mary, to try and crowd her into a few paragraphs or even a chapter. She should have a book. Did you eat yet? was the first thing you heard upon entering her house. I have a pot of beans on the stove and a fine chunk of salt pork in them. She invariably produced the beans and fine chunk of salt pork, and always ate as heartily of them as any of her famished guests. Her principal business was selling wine, women, and song to the railroad men and gamblers. She ruled her half-dozen girls with a heavy hand. Her house on the outskirts of the town was a dingy, old, two-story frame building with a couple of rooms added to one side of it, where she lived and received her friends from the road. Smiler knew her, and we were welcome. The feed of beans and salt pork was spread for us. She locked the door, and while we ate, this most unusual woman estimated the value of our loot, spread out on one end of the oilcloth-covered kitchen table where she sat. Salt Chunk Mary put no acids on the watches, nor pried into the works. She hefted the yellow ones with a practiced hand, and glanced but once at the white ones. I surveyed her as she ate, as I ate. She was about forty years of age, hard-faced and heavy-handed. Her hair was the color of a sunburnt brick and her small blue eyes glinted like ice under a March sun. She could say no quicker than any woman I ever knew, and none of them ever meant yes. She went into the adjoining room and returned with a small roll of bills. Four hundred dollars, Smiler. Good. Give us small bills, Mary. He divided the money equally between us, and we got up to go. Let's go in and buy a few bottles of beer for the girls, kid, just by the way of no harm. No, don't drag that kid in there. And here's something else. Listen, said this plain, blunt woman to Smiler. I guess that kid is all right, or he wouldn't be with you. If I'm grabbed with this junk, I'll rot in jail before I put the finger on you. And if either of you gets grabbed, she was looking at me, and thinks to get a light jolt by turning me in, he's wrong. I'll throw it in the river, and he can rot in jail. And that is the introduction of Salt Trunk Mary. I love that he says he's not enough writer to conjure her up, and then that beautiful description. Anyway, you can't win. Jack Black, give it a read if you get a chance. It's gold. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.